Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, welcome uh, to our campus. If you've never been here before, welcome those of you that are simply returning, and of course, our online folks. Thank you for taking a few moments to join us today. We're starting a new series called Family Life Today. You know, I don't know about you guys, but... um, YouTube and Google have often saved me in things that I didn't know how to do. There's just some things that we don't know about, and isn't it great to have Google and YouTube to tell us how to do those things that we previously didn't know how to do? You can learn so many things on YouTube or Google. So, for instance, in just the last couple of months, here's some things that I looked up and found out how to do. Uh, I learned how to change an electrical receptacle. I can't even say it right let alone do it. I reviewed e-bikes. I learned how to use a Graco spray painter. Uh, Google and YouTube shows me how to pronounce a word that I didn't know how to pronounce. I learned how to patch and seal asphalt. And I I learned that you can inject yourself with Botox. (laughs) That is not one I looked up, but someone did tell me about that. Look at someone next to you right now and just tell them one thing that you've looked up on Google or YouTube. Go ahead and do that right now. Just tell them the one thing you if you can remember. Awesome. Okay. Now look back at that person and invite them to lunch today and that you pay. Okay? No, just kidding. So listen, a lot of us here... We're like in families, right? Some of these folks, you can tell, they're very new and family. And we enter into that space, and we have no idea what we're doing. Some of us, we're going to be parents. Um, and, you know, like, we, we've never raised a kid before. And, in fact, like, when you went to the hospital and they gave you that baby, what was the one thing they required of you to take that baby home? You had to have a safety seat. That's all you had to have to become a parent today. Um, if uh, A lot of us, we, we get married, and, uh, you know, but we come from homes that were toxic, they were fighting all the time, or divorced, and so what do we know about marriage? And uh, some of us didn't grow up in Christian homes, and so we have no idea what it means to have faith in a home. How do I integrate faith in my relationship with my spouse or with my kids? So over the next three weeks, we're going to help you. I'm going to, I have found the best YouTube videos on family you could ever watch. No. See, you guys got to stay with me here. I'm very good here. Actually, I have something better than YouTube and Google. Uh, what do you think it is? You guys guessed it. The Bible. Yeah, for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three topics that I get asked about a lot. When it comes to family, there are three things that people ask me constantly about, 
and we're going to go to the Bible for it. We're going to talk about marriage, faith in your family, and kids. And you know, most people, whether they're Christian or not, or religious or not, want a deep and meaningful relationship in their marriage. They want their kids to be nice, successful, adjusted, moral, and to make good decisions as they grow up. And they want, if not faith values, they want some type of a moral compass and values that are part of their family. So I have a few caveats before we jump into our message today. Because I know that some of you right now, when you think about, oh, we're going to do a series on marriage, faith and family and kids, you think it doesn't apply to you. And that is not true. I want to tell you. So listen to me right now if, if I'm talking to you. Because you can look at these next three weeks as help to help others. Even if right now you're not married, you don't have kids, it's way in your rearview mirror, you are close to someone who is married and maybe has kids. And so you can be a help to them. So sometimes what we learn uh, isn't just for us, but it's for the sake of others. But you could also look at what we talk about is pre preparing you for your future. Because I know that some of you, even though you're not married now, you're thinking about getting married. And maybe you don't have kids, but you're hoping that you have kids in the future. And I, can, I, I became a Christian in 10th grade, and my youth pastor talked about marriage and family and raising children. And you think, well, what in the world would an 11th or 12th grader uh, want to know about that? But, you know, he gave me a picture of things that I wanted a part of my life as I came into that space. And it helped me a lot and thinking about who I wanted to marry, and it prepared me more uh, for having kids so that when our oldest April was born, I wasn't completely lost. Actually, I was pretty lost, but at least I had some basic ideas. Second caveat is this, that teaching like this might make you think something that isn't true. And I want to address that right up front. I am not perfect. I know that's probably a newsflash for a lot of you. Cindy is not perfect. I didn't know if I should say that or not. <laughs> we do not have the perfect marriage. Our kids aren't perfect. They're pretty awesome, but they are not perfect. And we have baggage in our relationships and in our family as well. A lot of it from the past. Do you see how I just blamed all of my problems on my parents? <laughs> the truth is, we've actually packed a few bags on our own and made sure that our kids carried them into their future. <laughs> so clear, uncompromising, biblical teaching on this subject is not the same as saying, I'm dialed, okay? So let's just get that out. And then the last caveat is this, that Bible teaching on the family can be a blessing in one way, but can also put you under a load of guilt. People make mistakes. People get divorced. Kids grow up and they make decisions or choices that we regret for them and usually they regret. And they're just things that have happened in our life that we cannot change now. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of you will not have a problem with what I say that the Bible says about marriage or family or kids or anything of that nature. 
But just saying it sometimes can remind you of the spaces and times where you, that, that hasn't been true in your life. And so let's just not do that, okay? Let's just admit that none of us are perfect, and let's learn with open hearts, and then just do our best. Is that, does that sound like a plan? Okay, so are you ready to get after family life? Because I am, because families are the foundational unit of society. And marriage, which is what we're going to talk about today, is one of the most foundational institutions of that society. So today we're going to talk about marriage. A good marriage is really simple. It comes down to the most basic of ideas and concepts. And if both spouses grasp this, um, you will have a satisfying life in a marriage. And we're going to work today from this definition of marriage. And this is basically the only note-taking you have to do today. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Marriage is meant to be an exclusive, lifelong, self-yielding, and loving commitment between one man and one woman. So just let that sit there a while. And if you're a note-taker, fill it in. Because the rest of this message, we're just going to break this one statement down. And I want to address... Um, what might be making people uncomfortable in the room is the biblical view of gender. Human beings fall into two categories, male and female. There aren't other categories, at least in the Bible. And I, I want to say to you guys, like, I know that that's being debated today. It's being discussed. Science is leaning into this, and we're learning things constantly. Our culture is affecting what we think and our own personal feelings. All these things, and that isn't the whole list, but they all come into like our perspectives on, on marriage. But in the Bible, we see man and women. And I'm not saying that pridefully in any sense. I, I want to say that honestly with you guys. And I'm not saying it with any kind of condemnation if you have a different view. And today, I'm not even trying to convince you of my view. So I want you to hear that. Let me tell you something about me. I could care less about people's orientation, honestly. Um, if you're gay or lesbian, if you're bi, if you're trans, I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I don't have an issue with you whatsoever. So if you identify with any of those words that I just used, I want to say something to you. I love you. And I'm for you. And I'm not here today to clobber you over the head with a bunch of Bible verses or, more specifically, my understanding of it, okay? I believe in the right of every person in this country to form a civil union because this, this is a democracy we live in. This is America. But this is one of those spaces for me where what I prefer most clashes with what I understand in the Bible. Every person ever born is someone that God loves. And over the course of my life, I've tried my best to follow the Bible's teaching, and I failed a lot. No, really, a lot. So, and I've been wrong in my life about people, about my personally held ideologies, 
And sometimes, believe it or not, every once in a while, I've been wrong about what I believe in the Bible. So I'm not going to go around and point my finger at people. That's not my intent. And it doesn't matter. You are welcome here at Sunridge. We are here to grow together and to learn God's ways. And we may disagree on some things along the way. But here's where I get stuck on this one issue. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. In male and female, he created them. And so I realize that that gives you two categories. But I also recognize that there's a lot of diversity in those categories. So that from the very get-go, when, when, when God creates human beings... The way Genesis puts it, it's like there's an incredible amount of diversity. Some of those are male and female. Some of them aren't. Some of them are obvious and apparent, like our physiological differences, our biological differences. We're different culturally. And some may not be as obvious, but might be apparent. Oftentimes, we're psychologically different, emotionally different, relationally different. And that's within between genders, and it's like within gender. And is it nature or nurture? You decide. But they are differences, which on one hand is the beautiful thing about marriage and how we think about our human relationships. And also, by the way, it's what makes marriage so difficult, right? Because we're different. Especially when we see the purpose that God has given men and women um, in this same section in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful, God says to Adam and Eve, and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. These are the words to the first human beings. And in it, God says, you are created in my image, and that I want to bless you so that you flourish in life, so that you can take my place in a way in the world, that you can rule and hold the responsibility representing me over all creation. And that is a distinct human responsibility. No other creature that God created has this calling. And because of that, marriage is the most important relationship in our society. It is such a distinct and foundational and influential institution and relationship so that marriages, your marriage, affects the entire fabric of human society. And that's why when the Bible talks about marriage, it doesn't talk about it as a legal or social contract. Look at what Jesus said when he quoted from this same section in Genesis, just a little further, and, uh, and then he doubled down and put extra on it. Uh, in Matthew 19, 4, haven't you read, Jesus said, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This word united literally means to be glued together. So that they are no longer two but one flesh. One flesh means they're so integrated you can't tell the one from the other. And then Jesus doubles down when he says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
Marriage, then, is not superficial. It is not transitory. It is not a weak bond. And if God put it together, it is unnatural to break it apart. Now listen to me just for a couple seconds here. This is not the ultimate divorce guilt dumping part from the Bible. If you're divorced, please do not hear that. Like I said before, people are broken, so marriages break. In fact, we don't have marriage problems. We have people problems. And people who have problems get married, and that creates marriage issues. And so when, when, when we think about exclusive and lifelong in a relationship, it isn't saying that you're supposed to stay in an abusive relationship because that bond is broken by the abuser. It's more than a physical union that God is talking about. It's everything. You're one, and that God bond is theological. It's psychological. It's emotional. It's intellectual. It's physical. It's not that you're no longer an individual. It's not a life sentence to misery, and it's not something God cooked up just to make it harder to be a human. It is that this relationship a marriage is so important everything in the world flourishing and for human beings to live in the world as God intended. And as I said earlier, Cindy and I are not perfect. Um, if you'd like more information, you can see her on that about me. <laughs> and there, we're coming up on 44 years. Please don't applaud. That just makes everybody else feel worse. Um, there have just been times in our life where we, we almost didn't make it. I'm just telling you the truth. And I've been able to help Cindy, like, see the light on these things. <laughs> now you know why, right? We, I mean, and you'd think, like, even now, like, like we would have figured it out. And we still fuss. Um, that's a Christian way of putting it. But everything um, rests on this relationship being what it's supposed to be as God designed it. So that's why it needs to be the most solid and reliable and strongest of all human commitments. And if you don't get this part, you're not going to get the next part because you will never understand why you're doing so much work in this relationship and trying to make what we're going to talk about a reality unless you're committed to this part. You see, because I know that like all of us that are married, we went, we had a wedding ceremony and they, they made us repeat some stuff. And when we were saying it, we we're like, we totally believed it, right? It's like, I'm going to love you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health till death do us part. And um, when we were saying that, we meant it. We meant that it was going to be exclusive and lifelong. And you were thinking when you're saying it, of course, that's the way it's going to be. This is how it is. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's how it will be. But then you were married for a year or five years or 10 years or 30 years or 50 years. What happened? Don't look at your spouse right now. Don't make eye contact. Because most of us go into marriage with this idea that it's going to be a commitment for a lifetime. 
And then somewhere along the line, though, it seems like we start to change out words in our definition of marriage. So compare my original definition. Marriage is meant to be an exclusive, lifelong, self-yielding, and loving commitment between one man and one woman. And sometime after a while, it starts to mean uh, marriage is meant to be an exclusive, lifelong sentence between two combatants, one a man and one a woman. Conflict is normal. Conflict isn't just normal. It's healthy in most relationships. And that's important to remember when you start thinking about marriage being exclusive and lifelong. And if you, if you have that commitment, though, um, here's what the Bible says. Here's kind of like the how part. It's not all the how, but it's a big part of it. And that's the self-yielding part in this. And before I jump into this, especially if you're not familiar with the Bible, I want, you know, like I want to tell you that this is this is one of the passages of scripture is going to make you uncomfortable. But I'm going to hope hopefully help you with that. And it's also one of the most misquoted and misinterpreted passages in the Bible. And it's so simple, but it's right in front of us. For many of us over the years, if we've been Christian, we just read right through this and kind of drew conclusions with missing a big thing. And it was a blind spot that was created for us by cultural constructs and uh, law, what they call first-time hearing. You hear, it, you hear Bible taught one way, and you think, well, that's the only way, and so you just go on with it. And any change seems to be a deviation from the truth. But there are going to be some words in this simple passage that will freak you out. And you're going to react to them, but I want you to stick with me. Here's Paul's thoughts on marriage in Ephesians. He begins with this statement. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's saying this to married people. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in the next verse, verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So what do you think? Anybody having a reaction to a word? Let's talk about the language here and, in particular, submission. Did that stand out to anybody? No one? Okay. This is a safe place. You can raise your hands. There's something for all of us to learn here. Because some people, when they hear that word submit, they hear something more framed in English of 20. 22 and not in the first century Greek. And they think that it is exclusively targeting women. If you hear it like that and you're a woman, it feels like a blatant disregard for your fundamental rights. It undermines your equality. It says you're a second-class citizen. And it makes the Bible sound archaic and maybe even misogynistic. And if you hear it only in the context of a 2022 20, man, you think that because you're the male in your household, you're in charge of everything. And that, ooh, did I get an amen there? <laughs> that wasn't Cindy, was it? <laughs> I know you're still with me. And... Uh, you hear it that you delegate all responsibility in the family, but you keep all the authority. 
and you think it gives you the right to be the king of your castle. None of that is true. It's not true biblically, it's not true theologically, and it's not true in practice either. So get these stereotypes out of your mind. That's why in our definition, I say self-yielding. To submit means to voluntarily yield. Emphasis here on yield and voluntarily. It means to willingly defer to another person. Not because they're smarter than you, not because they're better or superior than you, not because they're stronger than you. It means that you willingly put them ahead of you, and you are choosing to be selfless. It means that you are doing this for the benefit of your relationship and your family and for the greater good that is part of the way that God works in the world. And you are not doing this because of your gender either. Because it is not just women that are being called to this. This is the blind spot. This section on marriage with the husband and wife roles begins with this statement. Did you see it? Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the heading of the passage. That's the bold part. The main thought. And underneath it are all the details. So submission is not a wife thing. It's a Christian thing. Voluntarily yielding may be one of the most distinctive characteristics of Jesus and those who say they follow him. Remember, Jesus said, I am meek and lowly. He said that the Gentiles exercise authority over you, but not so with you. He said the greatest among you will be your servant. And he said, and Paul later said, make my joy complete by placing others above yourself. So it is not just wives who are being called to submit here. Both husband and wife are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So whether I'm a husband or I'm a wife, I do this as, as part of my worship of Jesus, as an expression of my love for him out of reverence for Christ. And then husbands, what does your submission look like? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Whoa. By the way, if I could just take a little side road here, Jesus loves the church. So think about that the next time you hear someone who says, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church because blank. You're saying that you don't, you don't have time to gather with, that, with the people that Jesus loves. We'll just leave that. Let that lay there a while. How did Christ love the church then? He died for it. He gave his life on the cross. And he let himself get crucified for the church. Husbands, that's your calling. To submit to her. 
to die to yourself and to give up your life for her sake. So then, marriage is two people with Christ utmost in their hearts, submitting and yielding themselves to Jesus on a day-to-day basis, and one expression of that yielding to Jesus is yielding to their spouse. That is such a God-honoring thing to do, whether you're a husband or a wife. Now, there's a preacher joke I'm going to tell you that says, when you get married and the two of you become one, you spend the rest of your lives fighting over which one. I didn't make that up, but it's pretty good, right? That's a preacher joke. They teach you these things in Bible college and seminary. See, but the Bible invites us to, to, to not fight over who the one is. And if we're not careful, we'll end up reading Ephesians 5 like this. Women you submit, men you love. Like men need only one thing and women only need another. Now, culturally and traditionally, we have kind of formed that kind of relationship. I mean, that view, at least among, among many evangelicals. But that is not a biblical view. And when you think about it, um, when you think it all through, it's like it, it's, the logic falls apart to say that men only need one thing and women only need another thing because we both serve, right? Don't we? And we both love. And husbands and wives self-yield to each other constantly. And if the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, who's really doing the most serving? You guys don't want to answer that, huh? It's like, that's the part, that's the rhetorical part, Britt. Who's doing the most yielding? In, in, in Jesus' relationship with the church, who, who yielded the most? The truth about it is that in marriage, we're constantly weaving in and out of submitting to one another and yielding ourselves to each other. And I, I, Cindy and I have a very traditional marriage. And yet, I can tell you that we're, we are always moving and, and kind of synch- synchronizing our submission to one another. And I could give you constant examples of that where in one time this person's taking a lead on that and another person another time it's better for this for the other spouse to do this. That's how relationships really work. So whether you're a husband or wife in marriage it is always a race to the bottom. I've used this before, but it's like we are, we are constantly not trying to do this with each other when we're healthy. We do this with each other, right? And when Cindy and I get in a power struggle and we go back and forth or whatever that might look like, you draw your own picture. You could probably talk to our neighbors. And we, and, and we, we just struggle and we start spinning around and around. Um, when we finally circle back around and come back to sanity, we think, why, why didn't we just do that from the beginning? Why didn't we just do this? 
and listen and try to understand and to serve one another. So let me put our definition back on the screens to to get to our final thoughts here. Marriage is meant to be exclusive, lifelong, self-yielding, loving commitment between one man and one woman. I want to point out that we said exclusive. The two become one. We said lifelong because since God joined it, no one should separate it. And self-yielding, this is both of us serving each other. And that looks different in different homes. I'm not here to tell you how your household should work, but we, we work within that context of the, of the two people that we are together. This last part about committing to love, it just all kind of boils down to that. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but love is the big idea here. And all of this is simply describing what two people who love each other are in a relationship do in that relationship. Love commits to the other person. There's, there's no way someone is going to get between us because I love you, and this is exclusive. And in that committed context, I willingly yield myself to you. It's self-yielding. And I'm not afraid to do it because I have confidence of your lifelong commitment to me. And that I'm not threatened that someone's going to take my place or you're going to take advantage of me. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, what does it mean to love? Fortunately, the Bible gives us some uh, specificity on that. And it's not ambiguous and it's not just squishy feelings. It's action. And it's the real key to a relationship. And I, I'm probably stating the obvious here, but I mean, you can create a marriage chart about the way marriage is supposed to be, and you can dig out all the theological points of how marriage should work. Uh, but if you don't have love, it won't work. And if you have love, it will work. This kind of love. And I'm not going to take time to break this down that much because. Any, any person that doesn't even go to church has heard the 1 Corinthians 13 passage. But let me just touch on it, and then I'm going to come back with like a little assignment for, for all of us. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. That means it takes a long view. Today's a struggle, but we're going to get through it. Love is kind. That's not just so much about what we do, but it's how we do it, right? In fact, someone once told me in... in in a marriage counseling class, like one of the assignments, this is a marriage and family counselor, one of the assignments they give is like, go home and just be nice. Start there. You'd be surprised what a difference that even makes. Love does not envy. Like when, when somebody else in the relationship is getting more, it doesn't boast. Does one of you view your contribution to the relationship more than the other. It's not proud. Again, I'm better, I'm right. They owe me this. It does not dishonor others. Think about that last argument, I mean discussion, robust discussion you had when you were tearing down each other. Love is not self-seeking. You got your tax return back? Is it golf clubs or a couch? It's not easily angered. Why is it that the person that we live with and love so much is the one that can push all of our buttons? 
It keeps, no, uh, it keeps no record of wrongs. Why is it that we can remember all the bad stuff that's ever happened right in that moment when we should not be thinking about it, right? Love does, doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. Am I able in my relationship to get to the truth even if it says that I'm wrong? It always trusts. Do I have confidence in my relationship so that I can drop my guard and be authentic, be vulnerable? It always hopes we'll get through this. Often when hope dies, so does the relationship follows. It always perseveres lifelong. Love never fails. That is a relationship that someone can commit a lifetime to. It's a relationship that you can be exclusive in. And if you had a person in your life like this, you would willingly yield yourself to that person. And that line of yielding would be invisible. And human beings... They thrive in a relationship like this. And when there's a lot of them, communities and states and countries and the world, humanity thrives. So that the kingdom come, the kingdom of God coming, begins in our homes. That's the truth of it. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I want you to know that uh, I put some marriage resources on the back of your note sheet or at the end of the app. But as they're coming up, I want to give you a marriage challenge. Here it is. Let's put these up on the screen. I want you to take that passage that we just looked at in 1 Corinthians 13. I don't know if you've ever done this before. Um, I want you to memorize it. I want you just to meditate on it, to think about it while you're memorizing, when you're driving to work, when you have time, and just kind of start going it over it in your mind. And, and I want you as a couple to talk about it. And you can break down each one. There's 16 of them. So it's a little over two weeks of a day-to-day commitment. And when, when you talk about that, each point, each statement about love, Make a specific commitment to one another. That's what I I encourage you to do. Um, Two things I want to talk about as we close. I want to remind you of God's grace for all of you who are thinking about all the stuff that's happened in the past and like maybe it's happened to you. Maybe you've been the person that that has been creating the happening. God's grace covers everything. And for those of you that are like right in the middle of it and you feel stuck, like you think you're going to end up in a place, I, I want you to swing for the fences. And I want you like, you got to talk to people. You have to let people know and you, ha- you, ha- you, you must give it everything that you have and access all the resources because a lot of times we want to do the right thing. We believe that it's the right thing and we just need a little help in how to do it because of all of our experiences, right? Now next week, we're going to talk about how to have faith in our family, but husbands and wives today, 
your relationship is the most important relationship that you have. It's more important than your career. It's more important than your church. It's more important than Little League. It's more important than football. It's more important than golf. It's more important than your girlfriends or your buddies. It's more important than your parents. And it's more important than your kids. Let's pray. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.